Hey, get your Bibles out and open it up to 1 Timothy. I'm going to be reading. Well, it's more than just a moment because I'm going to share with you a report on, on some things that happened uh, in Iowa. I was away last week in Iowa. Um, was able to be a part of a great church in Sioux City, Iowa, Cornerstone World Outreach. The pastor there is Kerry Gordon. And, you know, pastors go to conferences because in some ways when you go to a conference as a pastor, that's your church service. Um, it's not that I'm not here at church. It's not that I don't worship, but uh, it probably no surprise to you as we're worshiping. Of course, my mind is twirling on all the things and who's going to make this announcement and what do we need to do here and how do we transition the service? And so, you know, it's not exactly the same as if you were to come and just sit and just say, hey, you know. I'm here, I want to hear from God and worship God. So it's a little different. So pastors go away to conferences uh, in order to be refueled. Uh, we go in order to be challenged, even ministered to. And uh, despite the fact that I was honored to conduct three of those evening sessions, there were four evening sessions, and I got to conduct three of those, which was a great honor. It did wear me plumb out. I had not done that in years, I don't think. Uh, but I was worn out by the time Tuesday night ended. I did Sunday night, Monday night, and Tuesday night. And uh, so I was a tad worn out, but through the day meetings and all day Wednesday, there was some phenomenal insight. I, 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 somebody asked, a couple people asked, I don't know that I've been to a conference really in years where I walked away and I just said, man, I got some great download in that. And so... Uh, it was just it was just a wonderful time for me to get away. Uh, obviously, Pastor T was with me as well, and uh, she agreed as well. But the conference theme was a divine disruptor, a divine disruptor. It was based on the premise that Satan has done his fair share of disruption, both in history and people's lives. Hey, has the enemy ever come and disrupted your life? I just want to ask. Can you say amen to that guy? He's disrupted my plans. He's disrupted my life. The enemy has. But how many of you know it's time to turn the tables on the enemy and to do a little righteous disruption in the domain of darkness? It's time we disrupted his plans. And uh, there's little argument that the culture needs a disruption. In fact, I believe either revival will be the disruption or you'll see things like Charlottesville. And that's the disruption. It's, it's a disruption really of judgment. But I maintain that disruption starts at the house of God. If judgment starts at the house of God, I believe disruption starts at the house of God. We, we can't ask God to disrupt the culture and arrest its attention until God first comes and disrupts our lives to get our attention. How many of you know we've been disrupted? Now, that's, that, 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 that's, you can look at that as either a bad thing or a God thing, that sometimes he disrupts you. Here's what the scripture says. I will shake all that can be shaken in order that which cannot be shaken shall remain. So yeah, there's a whole lot of shaking going on. Jerry Lee Lewis isn't the only one that got that revelation. If your life's shaken, if it's being disrupted, it might be because God's disrupting something to get it orderly. And so it was, it was an encouragement to me that disruption is a part of God's sovereign arrangement and the Lord is raising up a company of disruptors, better known as prophets. And uh, how many of you know your pastor has been known on occasion to be a disruptor? Now, uh, there were some things that came forth. It made my spirit leap. My mind spun. 
And the greatest mistake, I said this, a pastor can do is to hear massive amounts of revelation and then come back home and drop all this revelation on you like a bomb or to pull out a fire hose and say, open up your mouth, you're fixing to get a drink. Um, No matter how divine the revelation is, that probably isn't wisdom. But there were some things I cannot ignore what I sense the Holy Spirit saying to me. And so as the Lord leads and and we're going to be walking in a journey, there are some things... I'm just going to tell you out loud, Pastor Brad hasn't heard all of this, but there are some things probably I'm going to mess with worship. I'm going to mess with how we do things here. It's all good, though. It's all good stuff that will please the Lord. How many of you know we are here to please the Lord? And and the Lord wants us to disciple God's people. Now, Pastor Gordon brought a powerful word. This was great. He entitled it, God is doing an old thing. Now, I thought, is that not interesting? Because how many of you know in our circles, God's always doing a new thing? But he reminded us of something. The Lord's name, one of his names is the Ancient of Days. Is that not true? Is it not true that the Lord said, don't forget the landmarks that your fathers put down? Don't remove the landmarks. Sometimes we run to new things. We get so enamored with new things that we've lost our mooring to those things that are unchangeable and they're orthodox. We run to the latest, the newest, the trendiest, and we neglect the foundational anchors of our faith. We mistake excitement with the Holy Spirit and we lose our discernment. Oh, that was so good. And by doing that, In our circles, because we are spirit-empowered people, we have lost both our orthodoxy and, it's a big word, our orthopraxy. That means we no longer believe the right things, and consequently, we no longer serve God or we live in the right ways. How many of you know that we are living in a time period where people who call themselves Christian are not living in the right way? And so their, their orthopraxy, or how they live, isn't matching up to what they believe. And so my hope is that that message will be posted online and I would highly encourage everyone to download it, listen to it. If you got to pay for it, just cough up the money and go get it because it fits perfectly with what I and others have been teaching in this series concerning what is a church and, and I love my church. Are we doing church, this is the question, are we doing church as God intended or are we doing church according to our own preferences? So what does a return to full gospel, Pentecostal, charismatic, spirit-filled, orthodoxy look like? These may sound like big words, but basically this is the question. What, What do people who believe in the power of the Holy Spirit and they come together to worship, what should it all look like? How do we merge all of this with the authority of God's word, with a complete openness to the Holy Spirit? How do you how do you bring a movement built on experience? Because most of charismatics love their experience, but experience has to be moored to some doctrine. Because doctrine is important, and it's what I'm talking about here this afternoon, because I'm telling you, we are inundated with heresy. It is true. It's just no way to explain it except we are inundated in the day we are living in with heresy because it can be propagated on television. It can be propagated through social media. It, it comes to us in all kinds of ways. And so we had these wonderful conversations. I'm still giving you the report, by the way. We had these wonderful conversations 
that we talked about, Brad, the place of creeds. We had a whole conversation about where do creeds fit in. If these were the things the early church believed, then is it not important that we too believe these things, if they are indeed biblical? So we talked about what does that mean? How do we do that? Is it something we should do? Is it something we should say? Did we get rid of it just because it sounded religious and it became just dead letter to us? But if the spirit was on it, was it something, you know, we just had these conversations. What about the public reading of scripture? Do you know that, that in Nehemiah, that when they began to rebuild the walls and, and, and got back to rebuilding the temple, that they stood up and they read the word of God for six hours and the people wept upon hearing the word of God. In fact, they stood to hear the reading of God's word. Why did they stand? In reverence that this is God's mind, it's his God's, this is God's thoughts, it's his voice. What about, what about praying? Would there be any benefit to maybe handing prayers out to people and, and all of us could be praying maybe one prayer all through the week? That we all had in front of us. Now, I'm not saying we would do this like, in, in, you know, that's the only prayer you pray. You'd be praying, obviously, in, in spontaneous, personal prayer as well. But what would, what would happen if we as a church had a prayer in front of us and we all took it home and we said for the next seven days, this whole church is getting before God and we're praying in unity this prayer that's before us. What might God do? I know we've said, well, that's kind of religious. Is it religious or has it just become religious because we're so eager to go run after something new, we forget that there are some old paths. How will we pass our faith on to the next generation? That's why when you, when you sent that book, I said, oh, it's like God just set this up. How do we pass it along? Because kids, listen, parents, and, and we're going to pass, we're going to keep saying this, your kids need something more than jamming music and funny stories. They need more than a pizza party. I'm not saying they don't need fun and they don't need outings, and there, there's certainly moments that they get with good other good kids, Christian kids, and they go do fun things. But what is our responsibility to pass our faith on to the next generation? Not just in church. I tell you, God's on me about this. God is really messing with me about what we're going to do as a church to look at our children and say, how do we keep them from being total Babylonians? I mean, it's in me, again. Because they're going to need some depth for the storms that are ahead for America. I'm not handing my kids, and God willing, I don't want to hand your kids over to the Babylonians. So you're going to find me Probably in the next year, not blowing you out of the water, having the mind of the Lord, trying to find some ways that we can act on what it means to be in Babylon. We're not, this isn't Christian America anymore. Do you know they're forcing Christian parents who are in public school in Minnesota, not in South Carolina, in Minnesota, they're forcing the kids to go to transgenderism sensitivity classes. You don't have a choice in Minnesota anymore. Now, I understand it's Minnesota. That's somewhere left of Marks. It's not South Carolina, but hear me when I say this. It's only 10 years away. Now, we've got to think about this. I'm not, and I'm not beating up on public school. 
We've got missionaries. I'm looking at Anna over here. She go, she's in public. She's a missionary. She's got light. She's working with kids. I know she wants to do her best. I know that. You need to pray for Anna. God bless you for what you do and where God has placed you. So I'm not beating up on public school. I'm just saying, what do we do with our kids? Because they might not always get an Anna. I hope they get Anna. God would that there would be five or six Annas they meet all through the day. But that isn't always the case. So you're going to find me doing some things because I'm telling you the Holy Spirit worked in me in a powerful way. So hopefully that will bring excitement and vision to you. All right. That's my report. And all the assembly said amen to the report. Lord, help pastor. Help him. Help him. Help him. All right. Have you found first Timothy chapter four? My message today it's it's relatively short but how many of you know a 20 minute message probably isn't what we need after we've been inundated for 80 hours a week with babylon but my message today i've entitled the church of the no doctrine doctrine and here's what i want you to do this is the easiest first step that i know we can do i want you all to stand for the reading of god's word we're, we're gonna I, I i did this years ago some of you that were with me, remember at James Island, I used to do this all the time. And I don't know why, I, I don't even know why. Why I stopped, I don't know. I repent. But they stood for the reading of God's word. Now, if you can't stand or you're, you're physically incapacitated, I understand. But we respect the word of God. First Timothy, I want to read first from chapter 4. I'm going to go to 2 Timothy in a moment as well and read from chapter 4. But listen, 1 Timothy 4, verse 12. It says, Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity, till I come. Listen to this. Give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of hands of the eldership. Are you already beginning to see that doctrine and spirit-led, spirit-empowered activity is being merged together here? Meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them that your progress may be evident to all. Take heed to yourself and to the what? Continue in them, for in doing this, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. Now, that's pretty heavy, isn't it? Now, flip now to the second Timothy chapter four, and he has to write this second letter. I'm going to begin with verse one, keeping in mind what we just read. He then says to Timothy, I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Christ, Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound what? They won't endure it. What will they do? It says, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. 
the church of the no doctrine doctrine and we all say amen to the reading of his word you may be seated i have mentioned before that these messages in this series are being designed to help access what no one wants to talk about in our non-denominational circles and it's to answer the question what does it mean to be a church we're living in an era where more churches i am told are being started than at any other time in all church history now church planting is the rage and that's great an absolutely great thing we affirm that we want to plant churches but the question is what's exactly getting planted and is it really a church is it a tree or is it a weed now i was listening recently to a very notable celebrity pastor who when asked what the doctrinal position of his church was gave this reply he said we don't teach doctrine here and we don't talk about doctrine. It gets in the way of evangelism. I was scrolling through several websites recently looking at possible templates for us in order to update our website. And I began to notice on several notable websites that on the page entitled Our Beliefs was a notable lack of statements of faith. One church had only three things that they believed. Number one, God. That was it. Number two, Bible. That was it. And you can appreciate that. But number three is that people need a relationship with God. Now, I appreciate the simplicity and avoiding a long list of essentials and non-essentials that could be just confusing to any one of a number of people. But here's the deal. The Bible does not teach ambiguity with regards to doctrine. In fact, the Bible leads us to believe that there is an imperative that we declare sound doctrine we're living in the no doctrine doctrine age it's more effective many people believe in reaching people to grow your church to de-emphasize any potential doctrinal difference and simply unite around a common mission or a common vision and hear me when i say this it's a very pragmatic approach to the gospel but the question is is that the gospel paul seemed to think otherwise now let's talk here. Timothy was the protege of Paul and Timothy was the pastor at the church of Ephesus. Paul would often refer to Timothy as his son in the faith, the son in the ministry, and he felt a responsibility to mentor Timothy in the establishing and organizing of this growing and influential church. And Paul tells Timothy these words. He says, as a pastor, he says, give attention to doctrine. Now, isn't that interesting? Paul never said, hide it ignore it de-emphasize it or minimize it paul said take heed of yourself and doctrine for in so doing you will save yourself and those who hear you so doctrine according to paul what he's saying here is a matter of life and death let's be honest we don't think of doctrine that way we might we might say, oh, I understand a church has to have a doctrine, and, and we, and we kind of get that. But honestly, for most people today, they don't want to hear some irrelevant rambling of theology 
from some deadhead pastor when they go to church. I mean, they want to hear something cool. They want to hear something relevant. They want to hear something that will get them healed. They want to hear something that can get them promoted, get them a relationship, get them a job, get them some money. They want to hear something that's really with it. I mean, we want it to be packaged and let it be hip and cool because it needs to hit me where I'm at. And that's where, as far as they're concerned, the tires of God's purpose hit the road. But listen to me. Everything you want from God is tied to sound doctrine. You can't get any of those things without understanding doctrine. And I want to suggest something to you. Could it be the reason we've seen a demonstrable lack of power in many of our lives is because we bypass some sound doctrine in order just to get to what we want? I find it fascinating that the first thing the early church does after the day of Pentecost and before the subsequent outpouring of the 5,000 families that were saved, remember just a few days later after Pentecost, 5,000 families got saved. In between just a few days, we are told in Acts 2.42 was that these believers, number one, they met together. In other words, they went to church. They met together, and it says that they remained steadfast in the apostles' doctrine. Isn't that interesting? These first Pentecostals, they said, I got to get to church, and we got to study doctrine. Boy, have Pentecostals changed. We don't think about getting to church and doing doctrine. We go to church if it's the best thing on our daily to-do list, and we sure don't want to hear about doctrine when we go there. Pentecostalism was birthed in doctrine. Paul continues in his second letter to tell Timothy that the day will come that people won't want sound doctrine, but rather they're going to want a desire, they have a desire for what they want. So in other words, we don't want to hear what God has said or what God has set up or what glorifies God. We just want what we want. And it says that it will cause their ears to be led away from the truth. They will find teachers who are always around to tickle whatever, you know, tickle whatever ear you have, scratch whatever itch you bring. They will give you exactly what you want to hear. And that's what they'll put on your plate. And that's exactly where we are in the 21st century American church. You can find anything you want, whenever you want. It'll please your ears. You can click on YouTube. You can go to Vimeo. You can hit people's websites. Most of the church has no clue whether they're listening to heresy or orthodoxy. As long as it sort of fits what I want and they found a verse for it, it's probably good with me. Listen, I can make suicide biblical if you give me a minute. It's exactly, it's exactly what's going on in America. Now, the question is, what is doctrine? Everyone has a doctrine because basically doctrine means instruction or the essentials of what you believe. The word can actually be translated that which is taught. So truth is that everybody in the room here today, every person has a doctrine because there are certain things you believe and you've staked your life on these beliefs and, and whether they may be biblical, and that's great, they may not be biblical, but it's, it's your doctrine. That's your doctrine. So you as a person, knowingly or unknowingly, have a doctrine that you have developed upon which you've based your life upon. Now, let's start with this and let's just kind of work through this. What then is false doctrine? Because how many of you know we can generate a doctrine, but the question is whether it's true or not, Right? You may have all kinds of ideas as to what you think 
life should be about and to what you think happens maybe after you die. And you can generate all these great ideas, but the question is whether you're right or not. So, so what is false doctrine? And, and we'll get to sound doctrine. But false doctrine, number one, is any teaching that is contrary to the Scripture. Because a Christian derives their doctrine, what they believe, from the Bible. Now, here's, here's what's great about that. It's, it's called good news. Because we don't have to make things up. We don't have to speculate as to what God asks of us. It's been revealed through the scriptures, which are the authority of the believer, the authority of the church. And we have something greater than just our opinion. I have a Bible and it's the mind of God. Isn't that cool? I want to know what God thinks about something. I can find out. This is why it is critical that we know the Bible, because not everything that is taught on Christian television on YouTube, Vimeo, a pulpit may be accurate. And I'll say this, as far as I'm concerned, you are at total liberty to pull out your own Bible and open it up and see if pastor's on target or not. Because the fact of the matter is the scripture is the bottom line. I'm just here to teach it. My, my job is to unveil it, unfold it in an appropriate manner so that you can have a better understanding as to what God is saying. So I teach the scripture. And a part of that is because I watch over your soul. As much as people want to be their their own, you know, steward, there is, the Bible says, those that give watch over people's souls. I'm assigned the job to watch over people's souls. Let me tell you, this has never been harder to do. The hardest part in this day and age is that no one wants a shepherd. They want a teacher who will scratch their itch. Which is why we're in the season of the great apostasy. People think they know God, but they really haven't read the whole counsel of God. So that's number one. False doctrine is anything that is contrary to the scripture. Number two, false doctrine is any teaching that adheres to a part of the whole counsel of scripture. Now, what do I mean by that? Because if a pastor teacher only teaches you a portion of the truth, it's a false doctrine. Now, let me give you an example. I'll just We're living in a day that grace is currently being taught only partially. Yes, grace is unmerited favor. Yes, grace exonerates your sin. You are saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. But hear me. Grace also empowers you to live above and free from sin. Grace is not just that which gives you the stamp of approval for whatever you do. Grace empowers you to live above sin, to forsake sin. So you can't teach just on one aspect of it and leave the other aspect hanging. That's what it was happening in the Bible. That's what the book of Jude deals with. He says there are some that are going teaching you that it's okay. It's okay to sleep around. It's okay to go clubbing. It's okay to do all of these sinful activities. And Jude says, he goes, and they have, they have presumed upon the grace of God. Now, I just go down the list. We've convoluted love. You got to teach the whole truth about love. Love isn't just being kind to someone. Love at times means you got to share the truth with someone. Judgment. How many of you know the mantra of the 21st century is you can't judge me? I know what the Bible says about judging. 
and you're judging me. No, that's that's only partial truth. The Bible does say something about judging, but that's not the whole truth. There is a righteous judgment the scripture also teaches about. People say, you make me feel guilty. I don't want to go anywhere. I feel guilty. Well, listen, I understand that we're free from guilt and we're free from condemnation, the scripture says, when we're in Christ. But hear me, if you're living in sin and you're in rebellion, there should be guilt and there will be condemnation, especially on the day of judgment. So that's, see what I'm saying? It's, it's you got to get the whole counsel of God because if you only get part of it, that is still false doctrine, all right? So we want to teach sound doctrine. I have endeavored to do that. All of my ministry is to teach sound doctrine. Now the word sound, what is sound doctrine? The word sound means healthy. That's what the word means. So what, what is sound doctrine? Let me give you a couple things here. Number one, all truth that is derived from the scriptures that's sound doctrine so when you repent from your sin when you forsake your sin and purpose to follow jesus there's a built-in assumption the assumption is that the scripture will become your guiding authority in life your doctrine or what you believe about god and life is not generated just by your opinion and what you hope to be true but rather Your doctrine is what God has revealed is true through the scripture. Now, nobody, hear me, knows everything instantly. Now, this is the frustration. Because because, uh, if you're just recently born again or recently started your journey with Jesus, and this is just pure fact, you will not know everything you need to know like someone who's followed the Lord for 40 years. That just isn't going to happen. That's why you're discipled. Now, here's the cool part. If you get with a church that actually is discipling in the day we're living in, you can exponentially grow faster than anybody else anywhere because you'll be taught line upon line, order upon order, precept upon precept. You can begin to be taught, which is why we need to reach our kids as quickly as possible because we can begin to put in them sound doctrine to where when they get to be young adults, they're far better off at that age than we were. So I have to be as a pastor diligent to study the Bible. I want to be taught from the Bible by those that are teachers and can input me And I begin to build my doctrine. You're beginning to build your doctrine. Don't be frustrated if you're on the front end. Don't be frustrated if you feel like I ought to be farther down the road. You know, we all ought to be farther down the road. Amen. But hear me what I'm saying. Wherever you're at, you can determine, but I can can begin to catch up. Now, Paul uses the phrase healthy or sound doctrine. He does not use the phrase perfect doctrine. Nobody has everything perfect. There are things which may not be absolutely clear in Scripture, and as believers, we can land in different places. For example, there are all sorts of views about the second coming of Jesus. Now, you may have your view about the second coming. It may be different than my view of the second coming. In fact, I could tell you there's probably at least about 10 different structures that all are derived from Scripture because we just don't have all the answers that you could teach the second coming from. Hear me when I say this, to believe, it's healthy to believe that jesus is going to come again that's healthy now we may not know all the particulars we may have our own preferences but but it's healthy we believe he's coming again that's healthy it's not it may not be perfect because i'm not dead yet and i'm not facing him 
okay? That leads me to point two, and it's this, that there may be some essentials and non-essentials in our doctrine. Now, there's a quote. It's attributed to both Luther and to Augustine, and many of you have probably heard this quote. It goes something like this. In essentials, there's unity. In non-essentials, there's liberty. And in all things, there's charity or love. Now, what that means is that there are some things that are rock-solid essential and there's no tolerance. Or, or in other words, this, the, this is just bottom line and, and I'm not yielding on these points because God doesn't yield on these points. Other things, there may be, we have the ability to see a little bit differently. And so then we'll treat people, they can be believers, and we'll treat them with kindness. Imagine church, just a moment, as a boat tethered or tied to a dock or to a pier with a rope. Now, when you tie up a boat uh, to a pier, it always has, at times, a little slack in the rope in order to navigate the waves that might come through. But it stays tied to the pier. Now, if you can imagine the pier being the Bible, but there are things which genuine Christians can maybe disagree on, a non-essential, and we can have some non-essentials, and so there's a little rope that maybe we can move, but the essential is the pier, and we can remain tethered to the pier, because if we let go of what we're tethered to, that's when we start to drift. The question, though, becomes, what's an essential, then? What's the peer? Now, for me, the essentials are things that instruct us upon our eternal salvation because that's really life and death. We we can't get the salvation part wrong. You get that wrong, it's not just 80, 90 years of living. It's an eternity. And so that's an essential. We've got to make sure we get that essential right. Now, let me give you some examples. These are not all the essentials. I'm just giving you some of these essentials. For me, the Bible is an essential. If we cannot agree that the Bible is the final authority, the inerrant word of God, then we probably aren't going to be able to do some things together because I don't have any other way of knowing what my peer is going to be unless it comes from the Scripture. So the Scripture ultimately becomes that tethering point. Secondly, I believe that God is revealed in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Why is that an essential? Because if there is no Trinity, then Jesus is suspect as to what he could provide on a cross. And not only does that become suspect if there's no Trinity, then the Holy Spirit becomes suspect as to what he can bring to me by way of redemption through what took place on the cross. See, the Trinity is absolutely essential. It's one God, three persons, I realize it's a challenging doctrine to wrap our brains around, but the scripture teaches it, and that is an essential. It's an essential that Jesus is the only way, truth and life. He died in order that we could be reconciled to God. That's an essential. An essential is that every human being is born with a sin problem. Nobody escapes the sin problem. So all of us need a savior. It's an essential that I already said Jesus is going to come again. And receive his people. It's an essential that we're saved by grace through faith, not of works. It's an essential that there's a real heaven and a real hell. These are just some of the essentials. I mean, if there's no real hell, if there's no real justice or judgment at the end of time, then why do I need a savior? Why do I need one? I mean, some people are getting rid of hell and they're still calling themselves Christian. And they're saying we're still preaching Jesus. But my question is, if there ain't no hell, then why in the world do I need saved? 
Because obviously I'm not going there if it's not there. And obviously we're all going to make it. So why do I even need them? Are you finding, are you seeing why there's certain things that are essentials? And hear me, if that, if his atonement isn't an essential to you, then how can you be healed? Because healing's in the atonement. He took upon himself sickness and disease, the Bible says. So if you don't believe in the atonement, then, then healing's out. If you don't believe the scripture, you'll never prosper because it is there that it says in Deuteronomy 8.18 that it is God who gives us the power to create wealth. These things are essentials. It's not just God's up there just throwing out these nice little, you know, gift cards to everybody. Here, Brad, take healing. There's a gift card for you. Oh, there back there, Wally. Take this one. Prosperity. Grab that thing. I, I like those, uh, those big old guns they use in those. Hey, grab that T-shirt with the gift card on it. God bless you. It's essentials. You know, a non-essential, I'm just telling you what a non-essential is. Again, the second coming. You may have a different view than me. You know, we're, we can still be brothers and sisters. We've got to believe that Jesus is coming, but we may not always see all the details the same. You know, style of music is not an essential. I can assure you in the first century, they, they weren't doing rock and roll, nor were they doing hymns from organs. That's not an essential. It's not an essential. I mean, I, the, you know, people get in fusses over, all your, are you a Calvinist or are you an Arminian? Well, you know what? That's an in-house discussion, and both of them have a lot of great points to make. But I'm not going to totally fuss over that. I have my opinion, and I have my view. That doesn't mean I give up my opinion, nor does it mean that I give up my perspective. It just says, I'm just not, I'm, that's not an essential to where I'll break with you. Now, if you're going to look at me and say that you know, God's not sovereign, then we'll probably break. Church government, what day you worship on. Again, we have opinions, but those may, those may not be essentials. All right? Are you following me in this? If you're following me and you're with me, just say amen. I wrote down here, non-doctrine Christianity, however, is impossible. Anybody that tells you that, that my church, well, we just don't do doctrine, well, then you can't be Christian because it's impossible. It's impossible. Everybody believes something. Now, why is it important? I'm going to move through this. This is so important today. Number one, the reason it's important is because our faith rests upon a certain message. A Christian is one who believes certain truths. We believe Jesus is the way. I read the other day of a church that says we are distinctly Christian. What we believe there are many ways to God. I go talk about schizophrenic right there on online. Online schizophrenia. We believe Jesus is the way. Our faith rests upon the truth that Jesus is the exclusive way of salvation and is found in none other. My job is to deliver that message. I'm not here to change it. I'm not here to repackage it. I'm not here to mark it better or make it more acceptable to people's ears. That's the message. I'm the mailman. I'm sorry it went into your mailbox. Jude 1, verse 3. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once delivered for all, to all the saints. For certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation. Ungodly men. Here, you see that? 
the Lord's speaking through Jude, and he's saying there's guys that are under condemnation. And yet we're being told you can't condemn anyone. Well, Jude did. Ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. So, so we believe, we believe obviously, that our faith rests on a certain mission. Number two, the reason doctrine's important is because what we believe affects how we live. How, do, how does that matter? Let me, give you, let me give you a forever illustration to blaze in your mind. This, 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 this is a great illustration that the Lord just brought to me. There are two men who climb up to the top of the Ravenel Bridge. They're standing on top of the Ravenel Bridge, two men. One of them believes he can fly. And one of them believes he's a human being. Their next actions will be incredibly different. Isn't that true? How many of you know doctrine matters? What they believe will eventually be lived. Now, you can say you believe you can fly, but if you walk back down and you don't jump, then you really didn't believe what you thought you believed. That, that's a problem, too, in these, this day and age. We have people who say they believe one thing, but then they don't act that way, and I'm here to tell you, you can find out your theology by what you live. It'll be demonstrated in your life. 1 Timothy 1.9 says, Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous person, but for the lawless and insubordinate, for the ungodly and for sinners, for the unholy and profane, for murders of fathers and murders of mothers, uh, for manslayers, for fornicators, for sodomites, for kidnappers, for liars, for perjurers, and if there is any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine. What he was saying there isn't that, we, again, this isn't used to absolve you from the law. It says that the law is used in order to be applied to the unrighteous. And the reason it's not applied to you is because it's already been written in your heart. In other words, we're not lawless. It's been written on our heart. In other words, we don't do this because God just said, you must do this. No, God's written it on our heart and regenerated us so that we delight in the law of the Lord. Number three, the reason sound doctrine is important is because it's our template to assess truth. We as the church evaluate everything through the scripture. Everything. Everything goes through the scripture. So we're going to evaluate, and we continue to evaluate. Everything goes through the scripture. I know. It makes us really weird. Because right now, everybody's evaluating everything through leadership principle. We evaluate everything through what works. We evaluate everything through our logic. We evaluate everything through the scripture. Amen. Need to be taking notes on myself here. That wasn't number four. Doctrine determines life and destruction. It's a sobering and important thought. What you have determined to believe will either save you for all eternity or open a door of destruction upon you. D. James Kennedy was the one who made the famous quotation popular when he said, if you were to die tonight and the Lord were to ask you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would be your response? Because at that moment, doctrine matters. Because you say the wrong thing, eternity's a long time. And then number five, doctrine's important because it protects you from error. Doctrine is where you get the word indoctrinate. 
How many of you realize that the world has ways of attempting to indoctrinate us? Especially the young ones. Kid shows are now happening. What's the name of that show? Throw it out to me. Doc McStuffins. All right, Doc McStuffins is now teaching your kids about how transgenderism is okay and how homosexuality is okay. Why? It's to indoctrinate they want to change and establish a belief in your kids. Now, hear me. They watch Doc McStuffins every day of their life for about five years. And then we wonder why they don't turn outright when we're giving them a 20-minute message, maybe once a week. They are, the world is incredibly strategic in its agenda. Our niece came home. This is my family tree. And we're all believers. Our niece came home the other day sharing with us uh, what they're being taught. And all of a sudden we get to talking about this. And then she wanted to rebuke us about transgenderism because they spent the whole day or week teaching them how this is appropriate thought patterns. And our niece. The burden is on me to provide options. And I understand at the moment we've got our challenges. But hear me when I say this. There is a burden on me to somehow press through every challenge that is before us and to somehow provide viable options for parents so that we can pass along the Christian faith. My responsibility as a parent is that my children and my grandchildren and God willing my great-grandchildren will somehow be able to perpetuate the faith of their papa. And I've already decided that I'm sitting down. We had to talk about this. I'm sitting down with my kids, and I'm sitting down with my only grandson, and I am going to, as the patriarch now of my family tree, I'm going to figure out a way to exhort them without blowing the tree up, to find some way to exhort them to establish sound doctrine. And I will say this clearly. My full intent is to indoctrinate them all. I don't apologize for indoctrination. If someone says, you indoctrinate your kids, amen. Because I have the truth. That's not arrogant. That's just reality. So the question is, what are you doing to provide and establish sound doctrine, both for you and your household? Now, I'm grateful for all the venues of media that all of us can access untold hundreds and thousands and millions of hours of teaching from ministers and ministries but ultimately the reason you have a local church and the reason you have a pastor is because we hope that your pastor is skilled enough in some of these things in order to help you navigate the flood of stuff that's out there so you can identify truth from error that you can identify orthodoxy from heresy Paul wanted to protect Timothy and that church from error. I do too. I do too. Nobody wants to be cantankerous. Nobody wants to be critical of others. And I understand. I understand the day we're living in. It's almost like the unspoken rule is to hear no evil, see no evil, say no evil. Just let, just let whoever it is that's teaching or preaching, just let them preach and teach and don't say anything because they're a brother, they're a sister. Listen, they're not a brother if they're in error. That's just the Bible. I mean, if a ministry is teaching a gospel of sin as you please, I, I just got trouble with that. How do I know that? It's because doctrine affects behavior. If you're always taught grace covers, grace covers, grace covers, what happens in the student is they begin to say, well, I can do whatever I want because grace covers, grace covers, grace covers. 
No, grace and powers, grace and powers, grace and powers, grace and powers. Here's the good news. You don't have to be in chains and enslaved anymore. You can be set free. So 1 Timothy 4, 16, and I'll just read it again. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them. For in doing this, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. My heart, my heart isn't to cause any person a problem. My heart is to save you from an even greater problem. Amen. Stand with me, will you please?